just reset. I'm not asking you to fast food, but I am asking you to fast in a different way. And we're calling it detox. We're asking you to go along this journey with us to detox our lives. That we would remove some toxic substances that are inside of us. And that's really what detox is. It's the removal of toxic substances from a living organism. And every one of us have toxic things that are inside of us. Now, when you think about detox, a lot of us think about our bodies, right? It's like, I'm going to detox from the sugar. Did you know that studies have said sugar is just like crack? It affects your mind. Maybe that's why I'm a little crazy, because I eat a lot of sugar. See, all my drugs are legal, but they're still doing something to me. And, and some of us were like, well, I got to detox from that crack called sugar. I got to detox from the, some of the toxins. And we, we understand that you go to work out and... Some of us, uh, I used to work out at a CrossFit gym. I hadn't, it, it has been a long time. That is a fleeting memory. But some of them are still in the CrossFit gym, and we go through seasons of detoxing our body. And you know what I'm talking about, Dwayne, my Mr. CrossFit instructor right here. Everybody give it up for Dwayne. He looks like Superman. <laughs> He'll say, Pastor, you got to stop eating all them muffins. You got to stop eating all that. I said, well, man, is there any other way to lose weight and to get healthy? He's like, no, 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 there's no shortcut. But the thing is, we, we understand the body, and so we recognize that. But we have to understand when we talk about detox, I want to broaden that. It's not just the physical body. There's other parts of our lives we've got to detox. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And so if we just address the body, that's the part of us that, that touches the things of this earth. And so you have senses and your, your sight, your taste, your touch, your feel, but that's all body. And we've got to realize that we've got to detox our spirit. We are a spirit. That's the God part of us where God brings us back to life. And spiritually, there's things that we get inside of us, which we talked about last week. You missed it? Go back and listen to the podcast. But we got to detox from those things. And then there's the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. It's, it's the us. It's me conscious. It's, it's how I feel and what I'm experiencing on the inside. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how do we detox our soul? How do we remove the toxins that have seeped into our souls? Now, I'm going to talk about four things specifically this morning. I could talk about each one of them on a full Sunday morning surf, service, but we're just going to touch the surface and say, okay, God, what is it that I need to detox? talks in my soul. We're going to go to our theme verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you got your Bibles, you can turn with us there. Otherwise, you can look on the screen. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, this is Paul talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He's saying, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, that word yoked is actually, the original word is koinonia. Now, koinonia, don't have intimate relationship, like friendship, the closeness. So he's saying, listen, you can have friends that are unbelievers, but you can't have them be your best friend. And let me just make sure that we don't take it to the extreme. God didn't call us to live on an island, to exclude ourselves from the whole world and just get our little Christian friends and live in this bubble. One of the beautiful things about small groups is that we invite people that don't know God to be a part of our world, to be a part of what we're doing so we can be the salt and light. You can't be salt and light if you're hidden away. So, so don't take it to that extreme. Yet at the same time, when you became a believer, a follower of Christ, your best friend cannot be an unbeliever. Why? Because they're not going in the same direction that you're going in. And so he's talking about that, and he's 
comparing it and contrasting some of these things. Look, he says, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or fellowship, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Well, the obvious answer is none. He says, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial, which is demons or the devil? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. Now, Paul's about to quote the Old Testament. So he's going back and saying, God's already said this. I want to bring it back to our remembrance. And this is what he says. I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Isn't that an amazing promise of God that he's not aloof up in heaven somewhere. He's here on earth with us. And so we say, well, how? He says this, therefore, come out and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, says the Lord Almighty. Then he goes on, he says, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves. Everybody say purify. So let us detox ourselves. Now, isn't it interesting that we are the ones that have to do it? So when we're saved, we are made brand new by the righteousness of Christ. We receive his righteousness. It's by faith, through grace. And so here we have this experience. But in the natural, if we're going to detox, he says, we've got to purify ourselves. There's a responsibility that you and I have to do, and that's to purify ourselves. It's to detox ourselves. He says, from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And that's what we're working to do is we're detoxing our lives. And what I've asked you to do is listen to the message on Sunday and then take the next six days and just focus on detoxing that one area of your life. Today we're focusing soul detox. Someone said, well, pastor, that's good. How do I know if I need a soul detox? And how do I know if my soul is toxic? And I love what Psalms 42.5 says. It says, why are you downcast or down in the dumps? Dear soul. He's talking to his soul. The writer's saying, listen, why are you down? Why are you sad? Why are you depressed? Why are you gloomy? How come you can't seem to shake that heaviness off of you? And I love what he says. Why are you crying the blues? Why are you listening to all that country music, talking about all the bad things and agreeing with it? All the country music lovers. So, what's it, so, so th- this is what I know. He's, it's not that you can't have bad things happen. The question is, do you have to go buy the new car, have the new experience, this temporary happiness to cover up the sadness that you're living with, the toxicity that you're living with? So yeah, you get something, you're happy for a second. God didn't call us to be happy. He called us to be joyful. Joy doesn't, is not determined by the circumstances with which I live in. Joy is based on my relationship with God, that in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So there is something inside of me that says it doesn't matter what I walk through, I live with joy. And some of you, maybe you, you, you've been hiding it with busyness and with stuff. But if we were to ask you, are you sad? Or do you feel a heaviness? And the answer would be yes. Well, listen, you got to detox your soul. So what's the first thing we got to get rid of? The first thing is unforgiveness. We've got to get rid of unforgiveness. It's bitterness and it's this resentment of how someone else has treated, my, treated me. We feel like we've been wronged. And so unforgiveness comes in when it's like, how dare you say that to me? How dare you mistreat me? How dare you do that or say it? Whatever it is. And and then we get this mentality of, I'm going to show them. 
Anybody ever, ever felt that? You, you have this unforgiveness, and there's really two types of people that, that carry the unforgiveness in this, this mentality. It's those that are demonstrative and then those that are passive. Oh, you, you're not going to tell everybody you're mad and angry and unforgiving, but you're going to do it, and you're going to show it through the little things you say or don't say, the little things you do or you don't do. And the problem is this. When you carry unforgiveness inside of you, the person that you're holding that grudge against, they've already moved on in their life. Your unforgiveness is situated inside of your heart. It's toxic. It's poisonous. And that person may or may not know. They may or may not care. And you're dying on the inside. It's, it's, they, they say it's like this, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Every time, you just, you just I'm mad, I'm, I'm just all these things, and you just keep drinking in this poison, you're expecting the other person to die, and it's killing you on the inside. Look at what the Bible says, Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root. Now, I love this because bitterness has a root. Bitterness has a root. When you understand bitterness has a root, you realize I've got to pull that root up quickly because the longer it sits, the deeper the root goes. So when you have unforgiveness, you're supposed to repent and, and ask God, just, I forgive them. Lord, I forgive them. I'm not going to walk in this. And you do it quickly. Why? Because that root of bitterness will drive deep in your heart if you don't. And then it's harder to get rid of because it's been there for such a long time. Unforgiveness, bitterness, they cause trouble in our lives. That's what it says. Grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So what do we do about it? You can't hold on to it. you got to just let it go. you, you got to say, I forgive them. I'm going to let it go. You, and, and I hear people say this. Well, that ain't fair. I shouldn't let them off the hook. How many have ever even said that or thought that? You're like, that ain't fair. But we've got to realize this. If we're playing the fairness card, I have sinned. And do you know what I deserve? Death and hell. I don't want to play the fairness card. And we realize, listen, I'm a sinner just like everybody else. I make mistakes just like everybody else. Thank God, God didn't give me what I deserve. He gave me grace and salvation. Amen, pastor. Amen. Come on, I need you to talk back to me. Isn't that good? It's like, God, I, I, I just realized. Come on, it's like, man, God, I thank you that I didn't get what I deserved. I act just like that, but yet I'm just so thinking I'm great. I'm all that in a bag of chips. Listen, you ain't all that in a bag of chips. I ain't all that in a bag of chips. We all fail, and we've got to learn to forgive those that fail too. Amen. Look at Ephesians 4.32. It says, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Forgive others. Second toxin that sits inside of us is comparison. We compare ourselves with other people. What everybody else is doing, how everybody else is living, how God is fair to them and he's unfair to us. I can't believe they're getting married. If you only knew their baggage, God, why am I still single? And it's always about other people, what they get, what you don't get. And we compare our lives to everybody else. And social media is the worst. Oh, I'm preaching now. I'm, you know, you're like, Pastor, you ain't preaching, you're meddling. I'm doing a little bit of both. Because you go in and you look at social media, what we forget is we're watching everyone else's highlight reel and we're living our own reality. We're like, oh, it's perfect. No, baby, it ain't perfect. They got problems just like you. Oh, that's a nice house you have, but you didn't know the plumbing broke last weekend and they're dealing with a flood in their home. I mean, the reality is this. Everybody's got problems. And if you look at them and compare your life, you become toxic. 
We can't allow that comparison trap to infiltrate our hearts because we come into an identity crisis. It's always about other people. And then what we'll do is we'll measure our life on what other people say we are, how they say we should be. We begin to say, okay, man, I'm good today on my Instagram. I got like 47 hearts. Last week it was 26, but this week I'm doing better because more people love me. You see what I mean? You go into Facebook and Snapchat and, and Twitter and all these different places and you judge how your identity is either good or bad, whether you're doing well or not, based on whether or not people affirm you. You have to know who God created you to be regardless of other people. And we're not going to compare ourselves to others. It becomes toxic. We're not going to envy other people's lives. You don't know the pain that they went through to get to where they're at. Sometimes you want to judge the outcome without looking at the process. Every person that's ever done something great for God in their life, they have paid a price. And how dare us say, oh, you got there by luck or accident. Luck and accident's not how they got there. They worked hard. They were diligent. God blessed them. He gave them favor. They worked some more. They worked some more. They studied. They did all the things God asked them to do, and then promotion happens. And you can envy other people and it becomes toxic in our lives. James chapter 3 verse 14, it says, But if you, bro- if you harbor bitter envy, envy like, man, I'm just envious. I wish that was my life. I wish I had those things or this selfish ambition in your heart. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual. And look at this. He even says demonic. Man, that'll make you think, wow, okay, maybe I shouldn't be envious of other people. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. I'm just learning to be careful about, even on social media, I'm really thankful through the flooding. I actually did a fast on social media just because I had to. There really wasn't any time. And, you know, if you saw Pastor Steve, he was like this reporter through the whole thing, and he's blasting the the Facebook and all of our social media. It was awesome. But what I found myself was the less I looked at social media, the happier I was. I mean, it's kind of a trap, right? Because you're like, I think I'm doing good. And then you watch whoever it is. I could watch a pastor, a family, a guy, whatever. And you're like, man, they're doing way better than, than me. And there's this downcast. It's almost like I feel, anybody feel better after social media or you feel depressed? Like, I tend to feel depressed, and so I just found myself, the the longer I stayed off of it, the happier I got, the more confident I got, the more secure I got, because I replaced that time with my prayer time. God, what are you saying about me? God, what's my identity? Not what people say or what they think, but God, who am I? And I would challenge you this, as we detox, some of you need to get off social media, just six days. You're like, I don't know if I can. (laughs) And I was like, crack too, man. It's all, all these things are killing us. But, but why? Because it'll help us to get rid of this comparison trap. The third thing is anger. Have you ever noticed that people seem to be getting madder? Like, like people are just right on the edge. And uh, I don't know if it, you can usually say like on Highway 59, how many know people get mad? <laughs> like they're flipping, hello. <laughs> God bless you. Why, why are people so angry? You know, it's a toxin. It's like they just, they're, they're, they sit at about seven and anything just pops them off and they're just going crazy. You ever wonder why James 4, 1 and 2 actually talks about it? It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You say, well, that's easy, pastor. It's him. <laughs> Husband's like, that's easy, pastor. It's her. 
you know, somebody might say, and I know you think it's funny. You know, I say, oh, Pastor, I'm so mad because of my boss. If you knew who I worked for, I'm so mad because of my kids. I'm so mad. And you can go in and you can say, well, it's everybody else. You can point the finger. And I'll tell you this, as long as we point the finger to other people, you will always be a victim. You can't change other people. We can only change ourselves. And really, the Bible says that we are the problem, that we are the challenge, that really we're the ones that are toxic. Look, it says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So we quarrel, we fight. Why? Because there are things inside of us that that are toxic. And so then what we do is we fight with everybody else. We battle with everybody else. But truthfully, it's us. It's what's going on in the inside. I've noticed one thing about the fights that I have in my life. There's one common denominator. It's me. I'm at every single one of them. And, and we understand, we can say, oh, it's you, it's, it's them, it's them. No, no, God, it's me. Something inside of me, what they said might not have been right, but I shouldn't have responded like that. What they did, I'm not justifying, but I can't control their actions, but I can't control me. So God, what's inside of me where that pushed a button, and because it pushed a button, I went from zero to ten in a second. You see the difference? I'm not a victim, I'm a victor, and the only way is to say, God, change me. Here's the root of it. If you really want to know why you get angry, look at what the Bible says. You want something, but you don't get it. Hmm. 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 You just want something. And you get so angry because you didn't get what it is that you wanted. I get so angry because I didn't get, I, I deserve that promotion. My boss is wrong. Or, you know, I, I deserve a better man. I deserve a better woman. No, no, baby, if you deal with the anger, you might have a better marriage. Oh, somebody. Well, I don't know if I married the right person. If you have a marriage license and it's signed, you married the right person. Let me just settle that. So is it that you married the wrong person or is it that we've learned to live toxic? And we just say, God, I've got to deal with this. Look, he keeps on. He says, you kill and you covet. You may not physically kill people, but you kill them with your words. How many know how to shoot people down? Oh, yeah, we just, we just launch out. It says, but you cannot have what you want. So you say all these things, but you can't have what you want. You do all these things, you can't have what you want. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. So you don't get the thing you think you deserve or what you want. So you quarrel, you fight with people. But look at what it says. You don't have it because you didn't ask God. You didn't get God involved. And so I, I just look at this, God, if I don't have it, it's because you got to grow me or it's not the right thing, or it may not be the right season. And so it's, God, I, I, I desire this, but Lord, not my will, let your will be done. See, when we pop off in anger, you may change your circumstance, but it doesn't change you. Oh, you may go off on people and they may jump when you come around, you come home slamming pots and doing all that and people just jumping, like just getting out of the way and they may do whatever it is you want to do. You may have compliance, but you don't have heart transformation. So there's got to be something bigger than just doing the right thing. There's got to be this thing. I want to be the right thing. And if I am the right thing, then I'm going to do the right thing. But God, you got to deal with me. And if I don't have it, then just let me shut my mouth. Let me just say, okay, God, help me walk through this. And God, I realize this, the sick soul that's taking place, it's not your boss, it's not your kids, it's not your spouse, it's not everybody else out there. The sickness is in here. You see, and then we just say, God, I don't want to be toxic. Everybody say, I don't want to be toxic. I don't want to be toxic. 
I'm going to be toxic. God, help me. Change me. Fourth thing is this worry, worry, worry. Assume the responsibility that God never gave you. That's what causes worrying. When you assume the responsibility that God never intended for you to have, he never told you to worry about things you can't control. He said, have faith. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I'm not going to worry about things I can't change. I'm going to try to change the things I can. And I'm going to have faith in God to lead me where I need to go. Worrying is toxic. So I, I get it. We all worry. I worry. The question is not whether or not you have worried or you worried. The question is what do you do with your worry? Do you just sit on it? Do you just think about it? Do you meditate on it? Or do you grab God's word and say, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to walk in faith. I'm not going to stay the same or allow myself to become toxic or stagnant. I'm going to grab his word. I'm going to release faith. I'm going to speak his reality because his reality is greater than earth's reality. Worry's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Some of you just rocking along. I'm telling you this, get out of the rocking chair. Begin to speak faith. God, I declare, greater are you that's in me than he this world. I walk in favor. Psalms 512, you, you surround the, the righteous with favor. God, surround me with favor. Yeah, my boss may be a jerk. Yes, I may not understand it. But God, I understand that you love me, that you're greater than people. And God, help me to not be toxic. I'm not going to worry about whether they're going to lay me off or not. Because if they do, you got a better job for me. Why? Because he's greater than the economy. God is greater than the economy. He's greater than your boss. He's greater than sickness. And worrying doesn't do anything to help you or add to your life. We're not going to allow worry inside of us. Matthew 6, 27 says, Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Well, no, of course not. So you have to just say, God, I'm going to release your faith in my life. So here's the question. How do we detox our souls? So there's a couple of things. How do we detox our souls? I love Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. So you could just as easily replace that with guard your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. Guard that seed of your life where everything happens, that it's connected to you. Guard that with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. So if you don't guard your heart, you don't guard your soul, then what you'll do is you'll be toxic inside and everything in your life becomes toxic. So what do you got to do? You got to guard your life. You got to be diligent. You got to be vigilant. You got to say, I'm not going to live like everybody else. I'm going to take some steps to change the course and direction of my life. What's the first thing? It's this. You got to build right relationships. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. You're like, really? I mean, i got to build right relationships? Absolutely. I want us to have this revelation. When we sin, when things happen inside of us, and we become toxic because of missing the mark. We talked about it last week. We go to God, and we ask Him to forgive us. And it says, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. How many know He cast them as far as the east is from the west? He don't remember your sin. Thank God. But what we think and what I grew up thinking in the church was that God is the one that brings healing to my life. And though God may remove your sin and though God may heal your heart, healing God set up in such a way that it takes relationships to walk it out. So you may not like it. You might not like people. You might not like the person you're sitting next to. You might not like anybody, but like it or not, God created the system that healing from being toxic comes through relationship with people. Look at James 5.16. 
James 5.16, I love what it says. Look, it says, confess your sins to each other. That means you got to have a relationship with each other. you got to be vulnerable. That's why the church is not full of perfect people. The church is full of people that are committed to take this journey with God. So we sin every day. We fall every day. We make mistakes all the time. There's things that happen that God is crucifying my flesh and helping me to not live that life. And so I confess, man, I'm struggling with this. Help me not to have that kind of attitude. I tell Phyllis, help me to be sweet and kind and nice and loving. And I go in and I'm trying to say, listen, this is what I struggle with. I confess it to people. But then it says pray. Pray what? Pray for each other. Pray for each other so that you may be, everybody say it together. Oh, you got to say it by that. Say it together. So that you may be healed. So, so yes, forgiveness comes from God and there's a moment where he touches our life, but healing happens in relationships, relationships. And that's why we built our church with the four things. We want you to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose and make a difference. But the truth is you got to find healing in this life. Let it not be said of us that we made it to heaven, but here on earth, we never found healing in our hearts. And that relationships with people, we built one of the main things we do is small groups. Pastor Phyllis talked about it. We have 41 small groups so far. We're going to continue to build that. Why would you put so much resources into that, so much effort? Because we know this, you can come to church each and every week and not experience the healing that God intended unless you're in relationship. Community. It's, and, and so someone to say, well, you know, I, 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 what kind of small groups you got? We got free market small groups. Why? Because we just want you to get with people. The small group is just the excuse. Going out, I, I've got this lady who is uh, doing, and I think it's her and her husband, Steph, was telling me about it. She said, hey, why don't you host a small group? And she's like, man, I just don't have time. And Pastor Stephanie was saying, well, well okay, well, tell me, what do you like to do in life? Because see, small group is not trying to go have another service. How many know you don't need another service? Come on, somebody. Like, I ain't coming over there to have you preach to me. No, no, you need relationship. And so she said, tell me what you do. And they started talking to her. She said, you know, one thing that I, I love to do is I love to go garage selling. Come on, we go. She said, well, Pastor Stephanie said, well, listen, why don't you go garage selling every weekend and bring people with you? You could pray for favor from 25 cents to 10 cents for that shirt. Come on, you get your discount. You can wheel and deal. You can even show them how you're going to take those people to school and get your favor, favor, favor. So, but isn't that the paradigm shift? Like going garage selling is just the excuse to build a relationship. It's just the excuse to say, hey, man, I know, I know we're getting these clothes for like 10 cents, but tell me what's going on with your kids. Well, my kid's not doing so well. Well, tell me about that. Well, well, let's go out. No, no, no. We, we, that dime's going to be there. Let's talk about your life. Like was, and so you, you build the relationship, and, and it's getting to know what, what ain't spiritual. Where in the Bible does it say you have to be spiritual to bring healing? No, it's confessing your faults to one another. It's praying for one another. And then what happens is, yeah, maybe this time that got you in, next time you say, well, I'm going to do the book of Romans. I want to study Romans. Awesome. God bless you. Probably one of the hardest books to study, but go out and do it. Just gather people. Why? It's the excuse for healing to happen. And then it's in that relationship that we're building. Then the toxicity is exposed, those things that are toxic. And so it's not just like something you do. It's who we are. We're not a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups. Why? Because it's what we know brings healing into our lives as people. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I know I said it last week. 
And sometimes we can say, oh, young people, you know, just show me your friends. Rihanna, just show me your friends and I'll show you your future. But think about this. What about us as adults? Like we always say that's them. You show me your five closest friends and I'll show you where you're headed. Who are you hanging out with? Proverbs says it like this, Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools ends up in jail. No, it says suffers harm. You say, well, how did they get there? Well, they got there because they were hanging around the wrong people. Oh, but they're not bad people. Yeah, they don't have to be bad people. They're hanging around the wrong people, and they're following the crowd right into derailing their destiny. So you got to overcome that with right relationships. God, I'm going to have right relationships. Second thing is this. you got to discover your God-defined identity. God is the one that created you. He's the only place where you can find and discover your true identity. Don't listen to your feelings. Well, I don't feel like a leader. Now, God didn't ask you to listen to your feelings. He said, listen to him. He's called us to influence people. He's called us to lead people. Well, I don't feel like the success. I don't feel like whatever it is. I don't feel like a doctor. I don't feel like a dentist. I don't. No, no. God didn't ask you to go based on your feelings. I don't feel very smart. No, no. He made you. He fearfully and wonderfully created you. You're not an idiot. You've got to engage your brain. You listen to God. He'll let you know. He created a great man. He created ability to understand, to learn, to love, to study. The problem is you believe the lie. Oh, somebody back in your past said you're an idiot, you're dumb, you'll never amount to anything. And instead of believing God's identity for you, you grabbed a hold of this lie. And I'm talking to somebody here today. I'll just be a laborer. No, baby, God wants you to be a business owner. God wants you to have employees. God wants you to impact your world. You say, well, not everybody. Well, I don't know. But have you even said, God, what's your plan for my life? Have you even been open to it or have you just always believed the report of society or the people that have looked down on you or called you to lower who you believed God called you to be? People define you by how they meet you, but God defines you by how he made you. So stop letting people define you. Go to the creator. He created you. There is a purpose inside of you. He intended you to be a certain way, and he intended you to do something. I reject the lie that says, I'm not called to do anything. Baby, every one of you have a grace gift. What's that? That's a gift that you didn't deserve, you didn't earn. It just comes easy. Some of you, you got the gift of teaching. Some of you are craftsmen. What's that mean? That's a spiritual gift. That means you love to work with your hands. That's a grace gift that God gave you, and the reality is when you discover it, you begin to come alive. Why? Because it's inside of you. So many people come to church and we, we, we sit here and we don't realize, God, you created me with a purpose and for a purpose. Look at Galatians 6.4. It says, make a careful exploration. So we got to explore. we got to discover who we are and the work that you have been given. Let me tell you, every one of you have a work that you've been given. I don't feel like it. No, 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 don't base it on your feet. They said I'd never be a mountain. No, 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 don't base it on what people say. I'm telling you, God has given you a work to do, that he has created you a somebody, you're not a nobody. It says, then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. So what we've got to do is make it our goal to discover who we are and the work that God has given us to do. Write that down. Who am I and what's the work God's called me to do? Who am I? And what's the work that God's called you to do? If you don't define yourself, the world will define you. 
If you don't define yourself, the world will define you. Well, how do I define myself? What has God said about you? Who are you? What has he called you to do? You've got to say, listen, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm made in the image of God. I, as a pastor, listen, I've had to wrestle with this too. I've been preaching now every weekend for the last three years. And yes, I used to preach at another church. I was an executive pastor. I traveled and spoke and I did some public speaking and communication. But over the last three years, I as a pastor have had to really wrestle with this as well. I've got to find my identity. Who am I? I mean, anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you could try to, and if you've been here any amount of time, you've probably seen me trying to figure it out. Like one day I'm trying to be like Chris Hodges or one day Stephen Furtick or somebody. And, and God bless Pastor Jeremy Foster, one of my dearest friends. He can say something. It's not funny. And everybody just laughs. I mean, it's just the way he said. And then I'll say, and it's like, well, that fell flat. You know, and, and so you just realize, you're like, God, I don't need to be Chris Hodges. I don't need to be Stephen Furtick. I don't need to be Jeremy Foster. I need to be Jim Kyles. I need to have my voice the way that I communicate, the way that I am, so that as I'm who I am, you can be who you are. And so every person goes through it. And this year, I really felt like the Lord said, this is the year of identity. When you discover who you are, you can release your voice. And so... My question for you is, have you discovered who you are? Have you been able to release the voice that God has for you on the inside? Because when you discover that, there's a foundation that what you say has more power because you've uncovered your identity. And so how do we do that here? We do it through next steps. You say, Jim, what is this? This is our process to help you discover. I'm telling you this. Listen, if you've not been to Next Steps, give me four weeks. Four Sundays after every service, go to Next Steps, discover who God created you to be and what he's called you to do. And when you do that, it will allow you to understand your identity and live your life in such a way as to not be toxic. Trying to compare with everybody else. But God, who have you called me to be? The third thing is this. Live a crucified life. It's not that we die in the natural you're not going to die physically. So we start every day. It's a lifestyle. That's why prayer is so important in the morning. Now, I, I love it. Some people say, well, I pray at night, and I think that's great. I think there's a power to starting your prayer, your, your day off with prayer. That the very first thing you do, why? Because it's like, God, I'm not this and you are that, you know, so maybe I'm, I'm selfish, but you're selfless. And so I recognize the areas in my life that are selfish where God is selfless. And I say, God, help me line up with who you are. God, help me crucify that today. Let me not act selfish today, but let me be a giver. Let me be generous. Let me love on others like never before. And so it's this daily examination of ourselves of where our character doesn't line up with God's character and then intentionally making strides to overcome that in our life. I'm going to crucify my flesh. That's what we as Christians say a lot of time. Crucify my flesh. What's that? I'm going to crucify my desires that don't line up with God's desires. Look at Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. I lay my life down at the foot of the cross. I crucify that anger. I crucify that unforgiveness. I, I lay that rage and that malice and that lust. I lay it all down at the foot of the cross. And I replace it with God's character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. God, I, I take on your nature and I give up my nature. 
It's living a crucified life. I, I know this. Dead people don't get angry. Dead people don't have rights. So I wonder if the problem with us is that we've not died today to the self, our flesh, given it up for God. We hadn't died. And so the problem is there's still us in there. People are mad or say something, so we just, boom, we're angry. No, no, baby, dead people don't get angry. Dead people aren't selfish. You ever talk to a dead person? I mean, don't do it, but if you, ah, and you just go yell at them, are they going to yell back? Well, if you say something really hateful to them, are they going to say something hateful back? No, they don't respond. Why? Because they're dead. So this is our challenge. We need to be dead people walking. Yeah, I'm living. Yeah, I'm breathing. But God, you're living in and through me, and I choose to exude your life and die to my flesh. Amen. Last thing is this. Thank you for my two people. <laughs> oh, that's so good, Pastor. It was so good. The last one is this. <laughs> Have an eternal perspective. Have an eternal perspective. So I think this is something, if we're going to detox our souls, we have to understand that this world was never intended to make you happy. Yeah, I mean, we have some happy moments. But the problem with Americans is that we are in pursuit of the American dream. Did you know that the American dream is not God's dream for our life? God didn't call us to pursue happiness. He called us to pursue Him. And yeah, there's moments of happiness. There's moments where we get to enjoy things. But the challenge with having the wrong perspective is that we can end up getting so wrapped up in the blessing, we forget the God of the blessing. I mean, just you know how it is. I mean, some of my worst times are when I'm doing really good. Why? Because I get sidetracked by the blessings that God has given to me. And so you may be sitting here saying, I'm doing good, Pastor, good. Have an eternal perspective. This life is passing away, and as good as it is now, it gets better in eternity. So let the blessings of God be a part of your life, but hold them loosely. Be willing to give up whatever he asks us to give up. And let me give an encouragement to some of you. You're walking through what seems like hell. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When you have an eternal perspective, there is nothing that can stop you because this life is not the end goal. Happiness is not the end goal. He is the great treasure of our lives. Eternity is the goal. That God, I spend eternity with you. God, that everything I have, listen, I can walk through this. That you're the great treasure. It's not the stuff. It's you. You're the treasure of my life. This week, last week, one of my dear friends, his wife passed away. And man, such a heaviness hit me. And I texted him and I'm like, man, I, I, you know, I just had this sinking feeling like you saw my wife up here earlier hosting. And I couldn't imagine my, my life without her. And she passed away this last week. And I texted him and I got to be honest. I lost perspective a little bit. You know, I, they made a huge impact in my life. Dear friends of mine, and even when launching the church, if I asked them to move down here and help me. and said, hey, come help me launch an internship and some of the things we're doing. And he said, bro, I love you, but I don't know if we're supposed to do it. And he celebrated. He went to another place and doing some great things. And we just have been a part of each other's life. So when I got that message, part of me said, God, how could you? Like of all people, I don't know anybody greater, a more committed person that loves you more. And so I just, you know, something inside and I sent him the text. He almost instantly replied, our hearts are heavy, 
but our hope is in Jesus. And I thought, you know, I was preparing this message, so instantly I just thought, he just took a toxic situation and he put heaven's perspective in what otherwise would be hopeless. Man, our hope is in Jesus. That this life, and then I, I saw something else on Facebook and he said, she's dancing with Jesus. I mean, how awesome is that? Like, I get it. I've had my sister pass away. I've had friends pass away. I mean, I get it. Some of you, you've lost a loved one. You've lost someone that's close. And if we don't have the right perspective, it'll cause us to be toxic because we're, how could you? How dare you? Why did you? I don't understand. But if we realize heaven's perspective, that they stepped into a better place, that heaven is far better than earth, and now they're in glory with our Savior, Jesus Christ, it changes us. Why? Because we have heaven's perspective, an eternal perspective. And so this morning, you know, what's, what's our life like? And I'd encourage you on your service map just to put, I will what? I'm going to remove some things, whatever it is. Maybe you've got to remove unforgiveness. Maybe it's anger, comparison. I, I don't know what it is. And, and then I'm going to take these next couple of steps, whatever it is, just one thing. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe we're launching small groups in a, in a couple of weeks. You say, I'm going to get in the small group. Maybe it's next steps. Right after service, I'm going to next steps. Maybe it's just you saying, God, I'm going to have your perspective. Or maybe it's I'm going to prayer and I'm going to crucify my life. The things of the flesh, I'm going to give them up to you, oh God. I don't know what it is. But just bow your head right now. Just think about it. God, what is it that I need to change in my life? What is it? Right now, just, just what is it? What is the toxic substance that's in your heart, It's in your soul? See, I know you walk out these doors, life's going to happen. So right now, what is it? God, help me. Help me. What is it? And then I want you just to tell him right now, Father, I'm asking you to remove this in my life. Just tell him right now. Maybe it's unforgiveness or comparison or anger or worry. God, I'm asking you, just remove it right now. Just tell him, remove it. You just sense him doing something right now. The Holy Spirit's in this place. Moving in your hearts. Some of you just say, now God, I'm going to do this. This is my step. This is what I'm going to do. This is, this is the application of your word. You know, I sense someone right now that God is bringing a relationship up to you and you have held on to that relationship like you're going to save them. Did you know you're not supposed to be their savior? Jesus is. We listen to the Holy Spirit. So somebody right now, he just brought a name. You need to, you need to remove that relationship. Well, I don't have friends. Well, that's okay. You're in a church full of people that love you. You got a whole bunch of people to choose from right here. Right now, just you got to make that commitment. That phone call is going to happen the minute you walk out. They're going to call you, and you're going to have a choice. Am I going to allow them to keep me toxic, or am I going to say, God, you saved them, and I'll reach out to them, but I can't do it right now. Jeremiah, your cable is not connected right. Somebody right now is dealing with anger. It's explosive anger. And truthfully, you don't even know why you get so angry and then this morning I said well the root of it is you didn't get what you want 
blaming it on everybody else and lashing out right now. The Holy Spirit is doing surgery in your heart right now. So what do you do? You say, God, I'm sorry. I repent. What's repent? It's just aiming at something different. Aiming at something different. I'm going to walk in anger. I'm going to walk in peace. I'm going to be a peacemaker and have joy. I'm going to be selfless, not selfish. Right now, just tell him, Father, I, I repent. I think some of you, you need to go back even after today. Just talk to your family. Hold me accountable. Somebody here right now, you grew up hearing, I, you'll never amount to anything. You're no good. You're just like da, 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 da. You've got to find your identity. Who did God create you to be? Those are curses that have been spoken off of your life, and God wants to break the curse right now. Father, I release life into them, that, God, you have a purpose in them, that their memory is sharp, that, God, they have understanding and wisdom and grace and power. And, Lord, you called them not to be subject to the things of the world, but to be an overcomer. And, Lord, you've actually pinpointed them to be the God story, the testimony of how you work and you confound the wise with those things the world don't say is wise. Why? Because it's your wisdom, it's your grace, it's your power. So we just release that in their life right now. Father, we thank you. Why don't we stand up? Don't move around. Just, let's just stand up. We're going to sing just this worship song. Father, we worship you. God, we praise you. We magnify you. Come on, just begin to worship you. Listen, if you're new to the church or new to all this, why would we do it? We're just taking a moment to let God do surgery in our heart. Do I have to raise my hands? You don't have to. You do whatever you feel comfortable with. If you feel comfortable, just raise your hands. Begin to sing. Jeremiah, let's sing something. Let's, let's worship in this moment. Father, I thank you for the work that's happening, this detoxing of our souls, oh God. I, I release your power in our life. We're never going to be the same. We're moving from glory to glory to glory. We thank you for this. We worship you. We praise you. Now keep your head bowed or bow your heads, close your eyes. I, there's, there's some people here this morning. I, I believe that you came into this place, but you don't have a relationship with God. You don't know him. Maybe you know about him. Maybe you've been around church. Maybe you've never been to church. But you sense God's presence in this place. And you sense that he is drawing you near. And you, you, you say, okay, I'm feeling something. How do I respond? And I love that, that it's the Holy Spirit that draws us to God. And that it's in those moments when our heart is illuminated. We recognize that though I was living my life on my own, that I could never attain so what I was searching for. And that was life. Why? Why? Because on the inside, we're dead. 
We're dying. Sin has caused death inside of us. And the beautiful thing is that God loved you so much. He sent his one and only son, his begotten son, to this earth that we might be saved. How? By believing in him. That it's not about religion. It's not about, am I good enough? You'll never be good enough. I'll never be good enough. It was because he loved you so much. He was good enough to pay the price, to die on the cross. And it is his shed blood that brings our relationship back to God. You say, what would I do, Pastor? The Bible's so clear. In John, uh, 98 times it says, believe, simply believe. It talks about salvation. Believe, believe. Acts chapter 16, verse 29. I love it. I talked about it last week where Paul and Silas are in their midnight hour. Things are not going well. Everything is tough. The, 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 the situation looks bleak. And they begin to worship God and they begin to praise God. Believers shout it out to the God of freedom. And in that moment, an angel came, shook the jail, set them free. And the unbelievers, those that didn't know God, and I like to say it like this, they're like, yo, bro, what up? Like, what's happened? Like, how is all this? And he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, listen, simply believe. He says, how do I have what you got? Simply believe. On what? On the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, you and your household will be saved. So you say, well, what do I do, pastor? You just believe. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you're in this place and I receive your salvation by faith. You say, well, that's me. I I feel like I'm in that moment. I want that to take place in my life. The head bowed, eyes closed. I want you to raise your hand. I want to see who I'm praying with. Pastor, count me in. I want to pray with you. See, raise them high. Raise them high. Be proud. Man, all over this place. Praise God. Put your hands down. So what do we do? We just I'm going to say the prayer. I can't pray it for you. I can't believe it for you, but I can lead you in it. Just out of the overflow of your heart, let's say this, Jesus, I'm here. I surrender everything to you. I've been living for myself, and it hadn't worked. Now I'm asking you to save me. I want to live for you. I surrender my life. Would you fix my heart? Forgive my mistakes. I lay everything at your feet. I confess that you're my Lord and that you're my Savior. And I receive by faith your gift of salvation right now in Jesus' name. Come on, celebrate. Isn't it awesome?